nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another fun-filled, thrill-packed edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living, and joining me this week, Sir Michael Livesley, we have... Uh, this is BBC One. Oh, it is yes. BBC One and all, isn't it? It is BBC One. I'm wearing this as one would wear a badge to say that you supported the National Trust. That doesn't mean that maybe you support their current work ethic, <laughs> however you appreciate the past, because maybe, Michael, maybe I'm starting to accept a few things <laughs> that you've been... Oh. Well, yes, I'm afraid so. I'm afraid acceptance is part of it. Um, but I, I, I won't, we won't get onto the psychoanalysis until later. But Not till later, no. It, it, it is essential. Um, that that one, what is it, um, Proust's Recherche de la Tombe Perdue? In Search of Lost Time. Um, Say again, dear. Recherche de la Tombe Perdue, isn't that what oh, yeah. it's called? Yes. Uh, in Search of Lost Time. Yes. Um, which features the story of Proust's, or Proust, I don't know how you say it, I'm not bloody French. Um, <laughs> Proust's Madeleine, where he eats the biscuit as a as a sort of older man, and it takes him back to being a child when he ate the Madeleine biscuit. Anyway, psychoanalysis for later. Later, um, later, yes. I see that you're currently living in uh, a sort of movie, what is it, The Day the Earth Caught Fire, where... It is, it is, and that, of course, means only one thing. First of all, that uh, where I would normally record from is far too much of a state. I attempted to tidy. Now, you know yes. what happens if you have a space full of nice things and you attempt yes. to tidy it. Suddenly you alter one thing and everything is buggered. So I had an idea, which is, well, the DVDs, maybe they should be in broadcast order. So I'll just mm. move that one. Oh, no. Now everything, no, everything has to be moved. I've got to check dates. Yeah, it's kind of like that with albums, isn't it? You know what I mean? I've settled on left to right, A to Z. Um, right. Otherwise, I think it's it's just anarchy. Um, mm. Year order. I used to I used to do genre order. So I'd have. I remember I'd have the ones I was most proud of at the front. When I had my um, uh, like when I had my bedroom in the loft as mm. a as a callow youth. So I'd be like 16, 17, whatever it was. Um, and so you'd want to impress any girls one was lucky enough to to bring back, you well, know. Yes. So you'd, be, you'd have, at the very front, I'd have my signed Stone Roses LP. You know what I mean? Not that any of this worked because I'd just sit in the car. I remember meeting one of these girls years later and she was like, I thought you liked me. You know, it's like, well, yes, I did. It's like, well, why didn't you Why didn't you bother with me? It was like, <laughs> I was too busy being a dickhead in the corner yes. and, uh, and, and trying to be funny. And yeah. eventually she got fed up and went home. Yes. But this exactly is the lot of, of unconfident teenage boys who grow into unconfident <laughs> well, <laughs> middle-aged men. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wonder how much of my time I actually spent trying to organise the DVD collection when I should have been doing other things. But And now I'm looking at the DVDs, and I, I, like you, I've gone genre. Genre seemed right. the way to go. So, it, well, it went box sets, so, you know, Monkey Magic, Voice to the Bottom of the Sea. Then, obviously, we move into Doctor Who in broadcast order. Mm. Where do we I, go I, You've already... You, you talk, I'm already getting a hot yeah. flush here at the thought of that. Is your mic a little bit too hot, dear, or is it just, is it just me? Is, is it, it just a little hot? Should we do that? Should we see? How's that? Is that better? That's better. You were distorted a little are. bit, but, but that might just be my headphones. Um... Immediately, I'm mm. frightened. Right, I I don't know why. Right, okay. So what you'd need to do is it would have to be like Penny Lane Records used to be with a little card in between. We need genre. We you need uh, to get little. Remember how HMV used to have little boxes, so yes. like delineating the the yes. VHS tapes. You need that. Otherwise, I'm calming down now at the thought that you could do that. Okay, you could do that. Action, uh-huh. sci-fi. Yeah. Comedy. Do you get me? Yeah. Well, I could. I mean, it was. It was not unlike that. It's just then, all of a sudden, I go from Doctor Who to general drama, and they're in broadcast order. But then to comedy. But then you've got the big box sets of iClavdivs and the Forsyth Saga. And oh, well, I know what you go? mean. Actually, <sighs> it's very difficult. I I have this quandary with books. Mm. Right. So I've got like a, a biography shelf. And then the biographies stray into uh, the one on James Herriot, right? Mm. So then I can go into the James Herriot 
uh, f- fiction. Well, they're not fiction, are they? But whatever they are, it shouldn't happen to a vet and all that. Mm. Then I can go into that. Then I can go into the Jack Hargreaves. Then I can go into Jack Hargreaves' two books. Then mm. we can go into the Minder book, Reminder, Dennis Waterman. Then we can go into the Sweeney. And then we're off. We're off then into TV tie-ins. Right. Now, yeah, you see, there is a logic there, but you've got yeah. to have those links, haven't you? But nobody gives a shit but me. There's nobody. only me looks at it. No. <laughs> why does any of this matter? Tell me why well, it matters. Well, it doesn't. But then if, if it didn't matter, then I wouldn't be sat on the floor looking as though I was about to burst into flames because I can't black these windows out. And half my lovely DVD collection wouldn't be just sat on the floor looking a bit listless and shit. Yeah, you see, these are the well, things that we bog ourselves down with, aren't they? We this do, is what they the are, view, they are listeners nice, viewers. Though. They're nice, but listeners and viewers at home, right? Um, you either identify with this, or you think we belong in uh, a home. <laughs> so um, I'm guessing yeah. most people are going to identify with us here, aren't they? I, I hope so. I hope so, and and very few will think we should be in a home. But I imagine. They'd be quite strident with these opinions. They they would, yeah. I think people are going to have their own opinions on how you arrange a collection. I don't know why any of this stuff, why does it matter? Why do we feel, not just us, I mean human beings in general, why do we feel the need to capture and order um, things that obsess us? Why are we obsessed in the first place? Well, I think because the simple reason for that, well, why we're obsessed, God alone knows. I mean, it... Someone would say it was compensating for something, but I don't want to think about that. But as for why we need that order is, of course, these days there's a bit of a lack of sort of like order and leadership or sensible order and sensible leadership. So I think that maybe I can sit there and I can get jolly cross about the fact that this episode of Jupiter Moon went out the same day as Chimera started. So should they be next to each other or do I split Jupiter Moon halfway down? So those yeah. those lovely quandaries that I'm then faced with because it means that I don't have to think for a moment about what's going on outside there because what's going on outside there's a bit scary and it's on fire as you can see. It, it is on fire, yes. Um, I'm, mm. I'm sure that uh, see, I'm already into it. I can't remember his Edward Judd. I'm sure that Edward Ed- Judd is currently hassling Leo McKern right now to write a story about it. So, I would think if, so, if anyone's yeah. seen the day the Earth caught fire, you'd know what I mean. Um, but what we're talking about actually fits in with I, I've read uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. There we go. Mm. Uh, which, which is oh, to say it is transformative is incredible. So his theory of logotherapy fits into what we're talking about here, which is. He believes, and it is an absolute... He, so what it turns out is that Viktor Frankl, um, his theory of logotherapy is regarded as the third... I think it's the third school of psychotherapy, Viennese school of psychotherapy. Let me get that right. Uh, sorry to get a bit heavy with you kids. Um, yeah, the third Viennese school of psychotherapy. So where you had Freud with his um, everything being a will to pleasure and mm. Adler with his everything being a will to power. Um, mm. Frankl's thing is a will to meaning. So uh, the uh, he, for example, one of his things he says in the book, after the most incredible, incredible account of his life, in World War II, uh, going from Auschwitz and then going to Dachau and then going to this Bavarian camp where, as a doctor, he was there to uh, administer to typhus patients. I, I am mm-hmm. not joking. It's incredible, this book. It really yeah. is transformative, I, and I recommend it 10,000%. So mm-hmm. one of the examples he gives about... Uh, so he believes that happiness is... we sh- uh, Happiness shouldn't be pursued. It should ensue from meaning. Uh, right. And he puts meaning into three categories. So one would be uh, creating a work or a deed, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Um, love, which goes back right. to what you've been saying all along, that without love there is no great uh, creation, really, is there? Mm. Uh, no, absolutely. Is, you know, that isn't in a hippie sense. That simply means, you know, a kind of a passion about something to create something. So a love, so thereby finding meaning through another person. Uh, and then his third one, interestingly enough, is guilt. And guilt can be used as a transformative element in order to uh, address so if you're guilty about something, don't just sit and be guilty about it. Use it, harness mm. it in order to improve yourself, change whatever's made you guilty, right? Yeah. Um, so um, through those three modes, happiness should ensue. Mm. So where does your shelving issue fit in here? That's a work, isn't it? That's finding meaning, 
That's finding meaning. Finding meaning. I was going to say work. Dubious, but yeah, finding meaning. No, it is. You're creating a work. You're creating a treasury of knowledge, aren't you? And and that is is not just you're not just doing it for you, are you? You sort of we've spoke about this before. You're creating this kind of doomsday repository of knowledge. Should should all copies of um, Moonbase. Um, three. Um, yeah, Moonbase 3, be lost. You, you have them. Ralph Bates is intact. Let's and Dick's great work is intact. But um, in closing, I'd just like to say I'm recommending that book, and I, um, I know it's not our usual thing, but I think it's relevant. He mm. says um, America's got a Statue of Liberty on the East Coast. It should have a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. So he talks about how, in, he calls it responsibleness, how mm. within responsibleness... Uh, you can, uh, what does he call it, transcendence. So uh, transcending your sort of, effectively, your inner bullshit, Mm. right, and looking outward and gathering meaning from the world rather than continuing to go inside. He contradicts a lot of Freud and a lot of Adler, which is interesting. He's he's happy to do that, and that Mm. is why he's the third school of Viennese psychotherapy. Like I say, uh, will to meaning is... The uh, and he actually goes against Carl Rogers as well in in terms of congruence and stuff like that. Which anyway, I found that incredibly interesting, as uh, Paul. So um, <laughs> with with you uh, talking about that uh, hmm. need for order when the world hmm. outside is chaos, um, he closes by saying something along the lines of, um, for. Uh, for the world is in a bad state, but everything will become still worse unless each of us does his best. Well, can't say no to that, can you? So, in effect, and it's like the thing that Solzhenitsyn says in uh, Gulag Archipelago, that society is a reflection of our own conduct, whereby if we conduct ourselves in a shitty way, then what do you expect society to be like? Mm. So... Here's the thing, though, right? The DVDs are causing me jip at the moment. I'm, <laughs> they really are. I, I I did genuinely lose a bit of sleep because of this last night. I lost a bit of sleep. <laughs> so what I'm now thinking is, why is it, though, with the bookshelves, right. I I can't stand order on them. I like I like patterns. I like different, height, different heights ah. of books. So I've got these, these different patterns yes. there. Yes. They're purely yes. for aesthetics. They're purely to look at. They're a bugger if I suddenly go, I need to read Sue Lloyd's autobiography. But I don't mind the yeah. search because I like no. the patterns. You're quite it's a strange right. One. Books, it, books are a search, aren't they? They're that mm. little, yes, yes, yes. They are. And they should be. They yeah. should have that search element. Whereas the DVDs, I want to just go, want that on. The books I actually enjoy because I think, is it because I, I could be looking for, uh, you know, the Jeffrey Bernard, just the one book, and I'll be wandering through, and then I'll come across an old copy of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and suddenly it's, oh, interesting. And I can mm. cherry-pick. I don't get that with television, though, that that magpie sort of side to it. I, I'm very definite with television and to what I would want to see, what what I need right then. Books, on the other hand, I don't know, it feels more like the, the DVDs are there to serve me, but the books kind of dictate things a little bit more, I always think yes well you're more blue peter than magpie anyway oh um you're quite right Mm. you're quite right literature is a kind of adventure isn't it whereby i think that it's probably because we're so used to television being structured in such a way aren't we We're, we're used to it being you know well i don't know about now but when we were kids we knew that blue peter was 520 is it right 525 no, it no. wasn't. No, you were no, no. You were clearly were ten to five, then five past five, then ten past five. Okay, all Very right. Well. well, I knew ER even as an ITV kid. I knew that five fifty-five. I could yeah. switch over from uh, ITV to catch that little five-minute slot before the news to watch Ivor the Engine or Willow the Wisp or wherever it may be. Until we imported neighbours and everything went wrong. Rubbish. And and maybe we need to look at that date as the date in which the sort of uh, order began to fall apart. And maybe the importation of neighbours is when we start getting fanatical about order within our collections. Well, it's it's a fascinating one, isn't it? Because the um, uh, that whole thing that we that we see every every single day because of the age group that we work with, um, where you have people who finish the finish a sentence and it doesn't have to be a question, but it sounds as though there's a question mark. 
and you get the rising inflection at the end. Mm. That dates specifically to yeah. 1986. Yeah, I don't we like that method. We imported that with neighbours. Didn't so, Stephen Fry categorise that as the Antipodean inflection, or was that that's, someone else? No, that was that was Stephen Fry. Right, yeah. yeah. So, so we do have that. But on the other hand. I appreciate the fact that Neighbours does have that old production sort of crossroads style thing. In fact, you know, Neighbours was created by Reg Watson, who was the first producer on Crossroads. So there is a very direct link. In the early days of Neighbours, you get characters being referred to who are uh, characters from Crossroads. So there are these lovely little links there. I just think that Neighbours would have really suited ITV. I think it would have found a perfect home on ITV. Mm. It was a strange one. What was that, a Michael Grade job? That was a Michael Grade job. It was when they opened up the daytime schedule um, in the mid-80s. And suddenly you've got to fill... If you're going to open your schedule up, you're going to have something to fill it with. So they imported Neighbours. I think we started 18 months behind Australia. Mm. But then when it came to the summer holidays, his daughter started watching this and said it was really good. And her friends started watching this. So not unlike Uncle Lou... He then sort of thought, well, if the kids want to see it, I might think it's crap, but let's see what happens. And he put it on. And of course, for much of the 80s and into the 90s, the number of people watching Neighbours in the UK was larger than the population of Australia. So <laughs> it it did have a, an influence, um, whether that's for good or bad, you know, whether it depends on whether you like your sentences finishing with a question mark. Or not. I never got along with it. I had a mate I went to school with who was obsessive about it. Mm. I remember Stefan Dennis had a song in the charts. It was like, Don't make a feel go. And it was meant to be, <laughs> it was meant to, yeah. Don't it make you feel good. Mm. Um, in terms of cultural impact, it was probably about as important as David Hasselhoff's Get Into My Car. Do you know yes. what I mean? So these are horrible sort of things that probably are what started me drinking so much. I, I don't mm. like... Do you ever have things that that make you feel... Songs that make you feel sick? <laughs> yes, I do, actually. You know what um, I mean? Terry Jack's yeah. Seasons in the Sun makes me feel sick, Right. Uh, there was a band, anything that... I Just hearing the word, now I feel vomitous. Carter, the unstoppable sex machine. Make mm. me feel sick. Um, so songs, musicians and bands that make you feel sick. I'm sure charming fellows all. I'm sure there's nothing wrong with any of those people. Yeah, However, maybe. I don't know what it is. When stuff's done bad, it's like... Mm. No, absolutely. Mean? Particularly music. Yeah. Well, ballads. Ballads about yes. nothing. I can stand a ballad if it's got a story, you know, so give me a bit of Kirsty McCall singing a ballad. I'm very happy with that. If it's a ballad about nothing, desire, you know, that mass-produced ballady shit that's just there to make me go, oh, oh, that gives me a reaction on based on nothing. Five Irish yeah. lads having a sing. I'm not interested. I can't cope with that sort of thing. Likewise, I get that reaction to most of the music of Celine Dion. It makes me pretty oh, violent. But, but that's because it's it's like they can't. It can't be borrowed heart and soul, can it? It's mm. got to be heart and soul. You can't borrow it. And I got that wrong with Victor. It wasn't guilt that was the third component of finding meaning. It was suffering, right? in suffering now it's got to be suffering that you don't cause otherwise that's masochistic right but right. if it's suffering that you bear and turn into something positive you mm. find meaning through it and i think that when you talk about the likes of kirsty mccall um that's somebody who has experienced suffering and it's there in the in the voice isn't it you know it you know what it's there in the voice but what i love with certain artists is when you could see the 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 building of a career. Um, something that I love when it comes to Kirsty McCall is um, is it Jonah Lewis who sung "You'll Always Find Me in the Kitchen at Parties"? Was yeah, that Jonah Louis? Yeah, uh, Jonah Louis. And you watch him perform that on Top of the Pops, and his backing singer in the background is Kirsty McCall, burly lit, and I think lovely. You know, there's yeah. someone working their way up slowly. But building yeah. a career rather than just Louis Walsh going, ah, oh, sing this, it goes into a different key at one point, and the oh, kids will fuck, cry. Oh fuck, man! Don't now. Now you've mentioned someone who makes me feel I'm so. Sick. I'm so sorry. Um, 
When you say Celine Dion, didn't Bruce Forsyth's daughter lose a com- uh, the Eurovision or something? And do you remember, have you never seen that clip where he's going on about, like, ten years later, he's like, <laughs> and he's still going on about this, the Eurovision or some singing, some some song contest whereby his daughter or granddaughter didn't get it and lost to Celine. I, I could be wrong. Oh no no! I, I can suddenly Brucey has gone up in my in my estimation Bruce there even amazing. further. Oh, Brucey is wonderful. I was Brucey in Amsterdam. I stayed in a house in Amsterdam years ago. Right before Airbnb, well, when we were allowed to go abroad, but before Airbnb, um, used to have a thing called City Mundo, right, mm. where you could rent apartments within Amsterdam, and um, I, I we rented one off a guy called George Harrison, H A R Y S O N, and. Uh, we got there, and it was this, uh, the guy who had it was this black guy with really piercing blue eyes. Mm. And it turns out he was from, I think, Costa Rica or somewhere like that. Anyway, so we're talking away. Obviously, it's Amsterdam. We've been the coffee shop. We've been out on the slash all day. Mm. And this Costa Rican guy, you get in, he's like got, um, I think it's probably some form of Bacardi, some some, some pale, uh, colourless liquid that got you really slashed. Anyway, mm. so it's like, hey, we're having some of these. So down the hatch. And he's he's going on about Costa Rica. And he's amazing because it's always like, you know, people are telling you stuff. You've no idea. I've never been there anyway. I think it's Costa Rica or Dominican Republic. I can't remember which. Anyway, he says like that. He's talking about the dance schools that he, he goes to. And he's a dance tutor and all this other stuff. And then he's like, uh, he, sa- he says, I tell you who is the most amazing person ever. And we're like, okay. Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> it was just like wow the top of our heads blew off and um because his wife was from i don't know costa rica or the dominican no, Winnie, Republic. Winnie, wasn't it yeah yeah so whichever yeah. she was from so was george harrison right. and he was telling us about and then he produces photos with bruce and then all the money he'd put into this community to start this dance school and all the other and i was like wow because, to be quite honest with you, I never heard him banging a big tambourine and going on about all the good he did in these communities. No, no, never. That's uh, It's an interesting thing, isn't it? You get certain people who are... They're not reviled, that's too strong, but they aren't because they don't go on about that sort of thing. So you end up sort of not knowing, and then suddenly they're dead, and they go, oh, no, they did this, this. I, I wish I'd known. But, of course, for Bruce to have announced that would have needed a level of, of hubris that I just don't think the man had. I think he was just very grateful for what he had. Have you seen the... Um, Sunday night at the London Palladium, which is just him and Norman Wisdom. That's when it. When there's some kind of strike or something. There was a strike. Now it wasn't Equity. It was. It was one of the entertainers' uh, guilds or, or something like that. And so nobody could work. And of course, the Palladium's booked, which is you know a fairly big venue to book. The cameras are being taken down there. The guests can't perform. So what you end up with is just Brucey and Norman Wisdom throwing a show together on the day. Incredible. Probably didn't run it through, just going from sketch to sketch to sketch. And they do the full show, and you can see they're both sweating profusely throughout. And what I love is at the end, they activate the revolve on the London Palladium stage, and it used to have the words London Palladium in big letters, and and people would sit on the letters and wave. Right at the end of this one, the curtains close on the last sketch, then they open again, and you've just got Bruce and Norman lying on the ground, panting on this revolve, unable to move, just totally, absolutely Superb. knackered. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But then again, I've, I've appreciated, and, and maybe you won't come at this from the same angle as me, but I have appreciated learning that somebody else who was apparently doing an awful lot for for charities and even for religions that he didn't believe in was the bloody Duke of Edinburgh. And suddenly I've read about him and you go, oh, well, again, I just thought he was a mad old Nazi. Turns Mm. out he was doing other stuff. So that's it, isn't it? When he died, there were some people saying he was a saint and some people saying he was was Satan. And Mm. as always, the truth lies somewhere in between, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. You know. So, but apart from with Bruce Forsyth, who is very much a saint, I mean, I don't know anybody who's got a bad word to say against Bruce. You don't have to like him, but I don't think, we're we're not exactly going to end up with an Operation Utree on Brucey, are we, in a few years, where someone, oh, he did this, though. No, he didn't. Bruce Forsyth. The one low point for Brucey, for me, Mm. now I've got great memories of, was it called 
Saturday's big night in or whatever from the Bruce's big night. Bruce's big now. I have some great memories of it. Was it the Glums that was on that? Yes. Now I loved that. I loved that as a kid. Jimmy Edwards mm. and oh, the blonde lady. Well. Uh, well, June Whitfield on the radio, but it was Patricia Brake who did it on the Bruce Forsyth show. That's mm. correct. So I have great memories of that. But for me, I suppose one of the only few missteps he made in his career, because that was considered one, um, was when he took over from Rossiter. Uh, on, it, was it Slinger's Day and then it became Tripper's Day? Um no, it's the other way around. The other way it? around. Tripper's Day, because you've got the play on words of Day Tripper. Yeah. So that worked. Slinger's Day, Day Slinger, that doesn't no. make any sense. That didn't work, no. No, I think that was the debut of... Oh, no, Play Your Cards Right was probably the debut of the wig, wasn't it? I think so, Was Play yeah. Your Cards Right a Sunday night vibe? So That was Sunday night. It wasn't Saturday, it was Sunday. Um, I don't know when Bruce's big night was, but bizarrely... It was about 78, that. Yeah. Oh, I know it was 78, and I can tell you why. Because bizarrely, Mike, would you believe I've just got hold of it? <laughs> there you go. It is It is sat on the hard drive of this very computer I am talking at, and it's bloody awful. Because is it's it really? Almost, yeah, there's just a bit too much, Bruce. Uh, well, there you know, would yeah. be, isn't it? Three hours every Saturday night. It, it was an hour... Well, without the advert, it's an hour 40, so we're talking about two and a quarter hours. All right. And... There's some sections that the banter between him and Anthea at the start of each show is is quite painful. But what I do love about this is it's got the VT clocks on at the beginning, so you can hear them counting down in the studio. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But what's lovely about it is on the first one, you can hear the you can hear the uh, the technician give you oh, a VTR six seven four two. This is Bruce. But you can hear Bruce in the background chatting away and he's excited and he but the audience are buzzing and he's having a lovely time and he's trying to put this bloke off while he's just reading the numbers out. Then you come to number 13 and it's pretty much silent apart from then you hear Bruce just go, oh God, we better add then. <laughs> oh, I don't think Bruce was that happy by the end of it. Well, the, the I don't know if we still have this. In, well, we probably do. But um, it's called tall poppy syndrome, isn't it? In this mm. country, any poppy that grows higher than the rest, we have to cut it. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so Bruce had just done the. I suppose he'd had an un, um, un income, un, uninterrupted rise, hadn't he? He'd gone from the fifties. He'd gone all the way through. Um, Generation game, of course. He'd just given up recently as well to be taken over. Yeah. So he'd done that incredible mm. job that Larry Grayson had done on it. I mean, he must he must have walked away from that thinking, whoever does it will be fucked. Yeah. And, and then the bravery that TV doesn't have anymore to get someone who could not be more different than Bruce on no. in the shape of Larry Grayson. Larry Grayson turns it, bosh, on its head, makes mm. it his own, completely different animal, keeps the format, um, mm. big success. The press love him. Because he's well, he was an overnight success that took forty years, wasn't he, or something? Yes. Adore Larry. I adore Larry Grace. We'd be here all night. But um, but Bruce is like, right, I'm going to do this. The mm. press, as far as I know, slaughtered it. Yes. So by week thirteen, he's just had his ego has been booted around, hasn't it? Mm. Like for it thirteen weeks, this must have been crushing for him. It must have been. And then I think through the 80s, whilst he's still doing, you know, he's got the game shows and that sort of things, we don't see as much of him as what he was. I and mean, he was a variety artist. And suddenly, variety's not there. I don't think we really start to see that until we get Strictly Come Dancing. Oh, he's which, brilliant on that. He was brilliant he, on that. Do you, he do you was remember brilliant. You when bet. we had him, it was wonderful. That terrible rap he did at the beginning of Bet, You Bet. You want to bet you? You bet. Oh, dreadful. Dreadful oh, yes. low watermark for Brucey. Oh, I mean, yes. Play your cards right is that Sunday night sort of, I think it will have been the sale of the century slot. The mm. um, I'm trying to remember some of the other things that inhabited that slot, but I can't off the top of my head. I'm well, thinking, was the Price is Right one of those? Or No, that was a was Saturday, that, wasn't it? Was Leslie Crowther job. Yeah. Um, that was the What was the thing with Lenny Bennett on a Saturday as well? 
Um, not chain letters. That no, was, chain um, letters is what sprung to mind that, for me. That's oh, the morning, man. isn't it? That was. Um, was it? No, it weren't the pyramid game. The pyramid game was like a really boring bastard called Steve Jobson or something like that. It was, but didn't the pyramid game start off as a, a part of Bruce's big night? I'm, uh, yes, it did. Oh, did um, yeah, the connections it did. are everywhere. They are, but it's a, you're right. It's the strangest thing because I'll be honest, I haven't watched all twenty eight hours of Bruce's Big Night. I have just sort of fast forwarded through and cherry picked. But during the introduction on number one, where it's like we've got this, we've got this, and we've got the we've got the pyramid game, uh, which has got a top prize of a grand, which mm. seems slightly less generous than even the American version at the time. But you're right; it's being presented by a chap in a grey suit, yeah, who's looking down the lens like he's about to announce the four-minute warning. Yes, and it doesn't fit at no. all. It doesn't it's fit. It's terrible. I wish we could mm. remember the Lenny Bennett thing. It was such a big deal on a Saturday night. Um, but mm. the slot on a Sunday was traditionally the sale of the century slot, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and Brucey did uh, play your cards. See, we have to call him Brucey. There's some law about it. Um, <laughs> so he did play your cards right. I think that's the uh, first appearance of the moustache and the wig, isn't it? Mm. You know, we had him combing her up from his under his armpits um, yeah. prior to this. Um, and then uh, he goes back to the generation game, doesn't he? Mm. You know? Um, which was brave. It was brave, and it worked, and it was him and that Rosemary Ford, I think it was, but then... Yeah. Again, the generation game is one of those interesting things, isn't it, which it depends upon the host, like Blankety Blank. Hmm. Yeah, Blankety Blank, so far, I'm yet to see it worked. I'm told that Bradley Walsh did a very good... Oh, no. I know, Names I know. that make you feel sick. I know, but I'm told he did a very good pilot over over Christmas, and he's there with someone from Boyzone and blah blah and all this sort of stuff. So he's had a crack. David Walliams has had a crack. I'm just going to try and make you vomit. You um, are. Yeah, you are succeeding. Um, Lily Savage had several goes. Well, I like Lily Savage. I have right. to say, I do like Lily Savage. It's a shame that he stopped doing Lily Savage because I thought Lily Savage was magnificent. But for mm. me, with Blankety Blank, I mm. thought Les Dawson did it the best. Best, absolutely the you best. You know, just that playing the hang dog thing so beautifully. Didn't want to be there. Thought played the fact that it was bollocks. I uh, you I love that, and that just endeared the whole thing to you. I know it's bollocks, you know it's bollocks, but let's have a bit of a laugh. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's lovely. That's um, absolutely lovely. Do you remember Kenny Everett bending um the microphone? Terry, Terry Wogan's. Yes. Loved Aww. that. That used to make me howl when I, I was loved uh, Kenny Everett. I've got the Kenny Everett. Uh, television show annual up there. I, I I bought another copy of it recently because I lost mine from being a kid. God, the Kenny Everett video show. Wonderful. Oh, my God. I mean, Kenny Everett full stop, but, you know, as a kid, it was just the naughtiest thing ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? I loved it. And I, I think nobody told me, but I worked out Cupid's stunt. I oh, I out. didn't work it out. I, I was about I was about forty two when I saw that one. <laughs> oh, I I was about twelve and I worked it out and I went oh, and I thought nobody else knows it's just me and Kenny. It must be and presumably yeah. Barry as well, but nobody else knows this and nobody else mentioned it for a very very long time. I was yeah. uh, that was but it was it was delightfully naughty. I had a vinyl of uh, Captain Kremen. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. This this lovely recording of uh, presumably cherry pit from the various shows and edited together, um, and it was the that was the record that taught me that you don't leave records in direct sunlight because it ended up with a nice right angle in it. Ah. So, well, the Kenny Everett the book the annual for kids, which is somewhere in the, in the mid up there, but um, in that it's it's got like some incredibly. Um, risque shots of Cleo Rokos in it. And uh, who were the dancers on it? They weren't hot gossip. No, they weren't. But there was something like that. Or maybe yeah. they were hot gossip. I don't it know. But yeah. the pictures in there, they're all, it's like just all these women in, in lingerie and stuff. It's just, I, I wonder why I loved that annual as a kid. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I wonder yeah. why I loved it so much. Saves getting hold of your mum's catalogue and flipping oh. to the lingerie section. Oh it? well, I, I didn't do that, man. Did we? Oh, no. Oh, I'll no, tell you no, what, no. I didn't put a white arrow in the window. Well <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I don't know if anyone oh. knows what that means. When you were returning something to Great Universal, you were mm. given a blue card with a white arrow on it, and the white arrow mm. van would drive down the street, and you'd put that card in the window, and they'd know that that house had something to return to Great Universal. There you go. Oh, Before the internet, we had symbolism. We did. Um, we did. But, but yes, mm. Great Universal. We were a Great <laughs> Universal house. Is there, is there some kind of distinction here? What catalogue did you have? Do you know what? I'm trying to remember what it was, but I I suspect it was the same. I think Great it universal. was the same. And there was that. What there was a lovely comfort in those things arriving, like the phone book. I oh, used to the, love. I the smelt phone it book. as soon as you said it arriving. Oh, lovely, wasn't it? I mean, they, they had very different smells. Yeah. Uh, the catalogue and the phone book, but both lovely oh, smells. Yeah. Well, we didn't get a phone book, so we didn't have a phone. Ah, right. Oh, common. I love the phone book. Very common. We uh, used to walk get... to the phone box. I used to walk to the phone box with my mother. With uh, She used to have, would it be 5Ps or 10Ps or something like that? You'd oh, put in a phone box P's then? When, when I was very young, it was 2P pieces. And I used to stand outside that phone box. I used to stand in the phone bo- box with her when I was a little kid. And I remember mm. the smell of piss. And I remember oh, people yeah. had, had used fags to burn their name into the plastic windows, and it was like they'd replace the glass with plastic, and mm. they'd be like, you know, Warby, <laughs> and 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 Macker, and these names burnt in. Because as a kid, you're sort of you're waist high, aren't you? Yeah. You know, so you're a lot closer to the piss pool, and I never used to like. St- Luckily, the floor of the phone box was obviously not level, so all the yeah. piss would would float down to the sort of the the right hand corner, and I'd stand near the door. But yeah, I remember it stinking. Yeah. Oh yes, they all did, didn't they? But then Very again, different I remember experience the- to you, dear, with your your Terry and June phone book. We, we occasionally use the public telephone, not often, but occasionally. Oh, if I, really. Yeah. Occasionally, um, but no, I remember that. I also remember the, the stench of piss in swimming pools as well, and and I didn't enjoy going swimming for that reason because I'd be like, well, you've got to at least put your feet in this bit, but that's where the piss smell comes from. I don't oh, wanna... that thing you had to walk through the chlorine, yeah, the little thing. pool. And I'd be like, well, no, I mean, it yeah. smells of chlorine and there'd be like and plasters piss. floating in it and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, they'd yeah, go in the baths with the school, and you'd all fight over the back seat on the bus. You would, and then someone would be wearing a Veruca sock, and that marked them out as pretty much having bubonic. Pain. I remember once we had to stand waiting all on the time. The, for, for a fat kid like me going the bat, I just wanted to get in the water as soon as possible to hide mm. my uh, dis, disightful, unsightly body. Mm. Otherwise, I'd have the slash just removed industrially <laughs> from me. Um, um, and so I suppose they, I suppose it came from a place of concern. They just wanted me to be healthy. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. Um, yeah. So I wanted to just get out, get in the water. But we couldn't. We had to stand and wait on the bloody side of the pool whilst the guy went in, the lifeguard went in with... Do you remember those little fishing nets that you used to buy as a kid to go and get tadpoles or stick yes. or whatever? Yeah. And he he was swimming round in there to try and, to try and catch this turd. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that was in there. So, uh, so I had to stand there. The you know the the shame burning into my cheeks whilst kids just rip the piss, um, whilst he captured this turd and once the turd was out of the bath, mm. in you go. I remember once uh, on the bottom as well, and I put my foot on it. I can still feel it now on the bottom. Was a set of false teeth on the bottom of the baths. You know what? Uh, this sort of thing wouldn't. Uh, it was the top <laughs> set as well. You know what I mean? They just were pointy. the top set. Just the top yeah. set. Pointy. Blimey. <laughs> yes. Good God. Yes. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Now then, Mike, what we should do at this point is what we always do at the end. And we did say that we do it at the beginning, and oh, we've both we forgotten. Didn't do it. We forgot again. Right. Yes. Um, it's just a very quick thing. Uh, if you enjoy nice things, could you give us a review? Um, yes. it, five stars only. None of that four star and below oh. nonsense. Five star review. And if you could write a little something as well, it helps the algorithms. I don't know what that means. But it, it means that more people can hear nice things. And we would appreciate it if you that would. That would be lovely. That would be well lovely. Well done, and of course, Paul, follow the you. Twitter at Nice Things Show, which That's we will correct. start putting more stuff on, promise. Um nice things of the week nice thing of mm. the week which i've not bitten into yet oh go on what have you got oh the complete secret army by andy Priestner. one uh, one half of with a forward by michael e bryant not to be consu- mm. uh, confused with michael bryant uh, the actor um so uh andy Priestner's one half of the team who wrote the end of the world the survivors book mm-hmm. uh with rich cross 
Um, I've not dug into it yet, but I mean, look at that. Never mind the quality. Feel the width, madam. Oh, look at that. That that's is beautiful. a weighty bugger. What's that? Two inch thick? Yeah, at least. Oh, that's a lovely book. Now, this this currently retails for £30, um, but I suspect that if you aren't canny and snap a copy up very shortly, um, it's going to cost a hell of a lot more. It's going to be a, one of them so. 120 quidders, isn't it? Mm, Secret no, it Army is. for me. All I remember from being a kid were the railway tracks at the end. Yeah. Just it- remember that. Yeah, the the titles of Secret Army, they're they're beautifully simple, aren't they? But on the other hand, what I love about those opening titles is it's just a series of still photographs, but with that slow zoom in, that a bit like the Tom Baker Doctor Who titles with the time tunnel, it feels like it's drawing Mm. you down it towards adventure. With with the Secret Army ones, it feels like you're walking into this world as you as you and as these zooms on these um, still photos occur. Um, Secret Army. Secret Army is that a show that we should know and everybody should love and we should be so proud of. But, of course, a lower low came along. Well, and... that is the problem with it. I mean, yeah. when I first saw it, I first saw it uh, probably UK drama when they mm-hmm. repeated it. Because they used to show ones at 10 in the morning for dollies, didn't they? And then mm. they'd show it again at night. Um, That's right, yeah. And so I, I used to watch it at night. Um and I'd never seen it before, and it was just like Jesus Christ, Allo Allo took the whole thing and just mm. turned it on its head. I can't help thinking that the guys who came up with Secret Army must have been absolutely gutted when oh, that God, came yeah. out. Well, it's Jerry Glaister, isn't it, I think, who produced it. And yeah. Glaister's got this track record for making wonderful, wonderful drama. So it is a very strange thing, I think, for the BBC to have gone, well, let's, let's knock one of our most wonderful dramas that and i think the pilot of um, a lower low was 81 or 80 so i mean it, yeah. it was literally at the sure. end yeah. of secret army's run suddenly like bang let's hit them with this let's do a pastiche of our own show and i love a lower low but there's a oh, part of me that can't man. forgive it just a bit it's wonderful oh, it's magnificent um, but secret army so i had to i was coming at it post a lower low uh, as mm. i suspect you were as well so it took mm. It only took about half an episode, and and you'd forgotten because that first one, um, I think Christopher Neem's in the in the first series certainly, yeah. um, and I think he meets an untimely end within um, a couple of he episodes. Does. But is it Jan Francis does. in it? Jan Francis. Jan Francis is like the resistant. I would say this only once, woman. Yes, she, she is. Uh, she is. She makes it through to series two, episode one. Yeah. But she's she's only in series two, episode one on film. She's not in studio. So I think she basically said, "Look, I'll I'll do it. I'll do the one episode, but I'm not free on studio." So that all of her scenes are just on film in one location, and we're done with. Um, Neem actually makes it through to the final episode. Oh, does he really? God, of so series got that completely one. wrong. Oh, to the final he, uh, episode of series one. Series one, yeah. Yeah, that's the almost, kind of climax, isn't it? Yeah, he almost gets away and doesn't. Um, but it's it's beautifully done. But there's a ruthlessness in there. What I love is that you haven't got black and, black and white characters. With a character like Albert, I think he's fascinating because he will kill. He is prepared yeah. to kill. Yeah. And it's that ruthless side, which must have been so difficult to get your head around if you joined the resistance knowing that you weren't just there to sort of like put the germans off by giving them dodgy wine you are also there to to kill these people and the most wonderful uh thing for, i went to belgium uh god three years ago now and the one thing i was determined to do was stand outside the cafe um because of course series two and three they actually shot overseas they shot it in belgium and the cafe is there of course it's in the main square of brussels looking exactly the same as it does uh in secret army but um nobody uh there was no owner at the time it was boarded up which i thought was terribly sad but yes i got many a photo and the um the door around the back where alan used to sneak in i've I've got a photo pretending to sneak into the door i had to do that of course of course Uh, Wonderful. wonderful secret army is a beautiful thing beautiful it really is a wonderful series and i've got to rewatch it um mm. as well as reading that weighty tome mm. um 
You introduced me to that, you know. That, that I didn't encounter that through UK Gold or UK Drama. Oh, really? You introduced me to that by giving me uh, a lot of blank DVDs with three episodes on each, so I was able to really get the se- get through the series quite quickly. And yeah, just just yeah. through that, and then of course the box set had to follow. Because oh to yeah, I mean the one thing that we needed for many years and now we have is the is the final episode. What did you do in the war, Daddy? Mm. Um, because of the the terrible prosthetic makeup, wasn't it? The makeup's the, 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 not good, isn't it? An episode fourteen as well. It's it's sort of extant mm. from the the run, isn't it? It is absolutely. Well, I mean, the, there's two sort of like reasons, aren't there, for this? First of all, because Kessler as a series, mm. as a mini series, had already been commissioned, and. They re- I think they realised that how they were describing events as having gone in episode 14 didn't fit in with what they were trying to set up in Kessler. So mm. it couldn't be shown for that reason. There were the prosthetics, but the other thing is, of course, it, the idea is that it's, uh, it's a live broadcast coming from this uh, cafe in Brussels. And straight away my eye goes, well, those are bloody big studio cameras to have fitted in a cafe. That doesn't work, because you can see the studio cameras. But there's also the fact that you know it's a set. And I think that's there's that cosiness, isn't there, from mm. 60s, 70s telly. And you know it's a set and you know when it's outside, partly because you've got the video and film thing. So you know that it wasn't a real place. And yeah, the joy is in the joins. Absolutely. And here you actually got them saying, no, it is a set. It's not a set. It's a real place and we yeah. can fit these great big telly cameras. In. And it doesn't compute with me for that reason. It's no. that. It's the cameras are wrong. It's weird, isn't it, how how it it, it completely subverts the pr- premise of the show, really, and, and takes away from the faux reality that they've established over three series. It mm. explodes it almost. Um, I'm glad I have a copy of it because I always want. I, I just you always feel again. It's this sort of doomsday archive. You need you need to have a copy of it. Um, but those three series stand alone in a wonderful way. And Glaister, I think one of his previous successes was Colditz, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, and Colditz, again, is this incredible piece of work featuring uh, Edward Hardwick playing mm. a character based upon his dad, wasn't it? That's was it, his yeah. dad in Colditz. Uh, yes. Um, and who's the, is it Robert, who's the American Wagner. star? Robert, yeah, Robert Wagner, who... Uh, yeah. Who was there when Natalie Thingy fell off the boat, of course. Oh yes, uh, dodgy. Oh, yeah. uh, um, but to actually have and of course it was a it was a co production between the BBC and twentieth century Fox. Mm. So the money that could be spent on it were you know, that was a lovely thing. And what I love about Colditz is the outside doors, uh, the outside broadcast stuff on film outside the castle in the courtyard. That's a set. Yeah. And I was yeah, sure. I, I can't get that in my head even now because that looks like they've gone to Colditz. Oh no, they just put a setup in Elstree and shot yes. it on film yeah. to give that illusion of oh no, we are still doing outside work. No, you're not. Oh, that was, that's a clever artistic. It's a great move. series. It's a great series. I remember seeing Beautiful. a documentary on Douglas Bader years ago. He was in Colditz, and mm. he, they they had him right at the top of a tower in Colditz. Mm. And this poor guy who was his sort of, I suppose, his Batman, because it, within Colditz, as we see in the series a lot, they keep that structure, don't they, of officers mm. and, and uh, soldiers, officers yes. and men. Um, and the, the, the German prison guards, they respect the officers. And, you know, it's sort of that strata goes along. And so he had Chap, who used to carry him down from the top of the towers, obviously, tower, because obviously he had no legs. Mm. Um, all all the way down this spiral staircase so that he could get outside every morning and every evening. I suppose if he forgot his fags, he had to carry him back up. Um, and he, and this this poor guy used to say that if he wasn't going fast enough down the stairs, Bard would dig his stumps into his back <laughs> and say, Carry up, man! <laughs> wonderful. You know? Absolutely wonderful. I'll give you a little link here as well, though, Michael, because, of course, we've talked before about how Moonbase 3 wasn't the most successful piece of television we've ever seen. Moonbase 3 comes about as a co-production between the BBC and 20th Century Fox as an offshoot of the arrangements for Colditz between the BBC and 20th Century Fox. So... And then we can see why the relationship didn't continue because here's six episodes of people talking about business. Yes, not, not what we wanted from a sci-fi show. Thank you, Barry. No, but it, it's it's sort of again, it's the artwork um, belies the the crappiness of it. Really, doesn't it? It mm. looks so promising. 
Oh, it you does. know, and you've got some great. Is it Donald Houston and Ralph Bates and yes, people like oh. that in it. Yeah, Fiona Gaunt as well, looking yeah. beautiful. Um, yeah, it's got a it's it's ahead of its time, really. You know, I think they were trying to do too much, but then focus on the on the reality. And the trouble is, of course, if you're trying to do sci-fi, reality's not that exciting. No, no, mm. no. We but want, I mean, if we you want were spaceships stuck on the moon, and explosions. Yeah, there would be all those. Um, considerations but people don't what is it who said that drama is life with the boring bits taken out mm. top of my head no i can't mm. remember but, it, and, but but that's yeah. got the boring bits left in i suppose it's, it's it's almost entirely the boring bits and they've taken everything else out which is very strange but approach. you love it i bet don't you i absolutely adore it my god i can put that on the last episode guest starring michael goff makes no sense it's one of those episodes we talked about last week it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever and because a camera's faulty and they can't get a decent picture of the earth suddenly they declare well what we're going to do is we're going to turn the valves up and unleash carbon monoxide and kill everyone are you what are you going to do that for because your camera's faulty it doesn't make a lot of sense no and then the night before, everybody is going to be murdered. The camera fixes itself. And they go, oh, no, no, we're, we're back in contact. Oh, we can all live. It's um, um, Michael Goff, who has stood there and persuaded people, you know, that, they, oh, the Earth's dead and you should all kill yourselves. And then he gets this end speech at the end, basically saying, ah, but we must remember in the future that things can go wrong and this. Somebody should punch him in the face. That should be the final moment. He kills everyone. <laughs> and, and he gets the close-up at the end. Love Michael Goff, but he wasn't the star of the show. That should have been a wide shot of the cast, maybe looking at Michael Goff, but you don't give him the final shot. No. Didn't... No, Christopher no, Barry. No, not at all. Michael like... Goff, an interesting chap. Uh, yeah, very... After what you told about me about him the other day. A flawed very... man. A flawed man. fair to say. But those yeah. shows where things don't make any sense, the Sweeney visiting firemen, um, with um, I, th- I think I'm right in saying is it Nadim Suala, uh, Nadia, Nadim Julia's yeah. dad. He mm. plays a Turkish policeman, and it's just I haven't got a clue what it, I've watched it a dozen times. Mm. It is comfort food for me. Um, I've watched it so many times. I've not a clue. The nope. plot is something about uh, plutonium being smuggled to uh, the Middle East, which mm-hmm. is why Suala uh, uh, comes over. Um, it involves Jack Regan and George Carter um, doing a, a Jimmy Durante number in mm. the Turkish club where mm. they take Suala's character, um, a bomb being placed in Regan's car, Ronnie Brody of the Dave Allen Show fame playing a comedy turn as a mechanic, <laughs> and, and, and MI5, Frederick Treves as an ex-MI5 or copper, you're not sure which, running mm-hmm. the haulage firm that takes it across there. Um, and it, it, it's just, you know, all of a sudden, the only reason you know MI5, MI5 are involved is because Regan returns to the haulage firm, and there's a small fire going on where they've burned everything so that there's no evidence. And the next thing, there's a helicopter going overhead with a, a megaphone out of it saying, stay away, Regan, keep out! And then he he's like, up yours, whoever you name it. It's just... And then as well as this, you've got um, a supergrass thing going along. Mr. Carew, um... I have no idea. I love it. I have no idea. And it just ends with Regan in the middle of the night getting out of bed, pouring a bottle of vodka in a jug with a load of uh, tonic and fruit and stuff like that, uh, and then pouring himself a glass of vo- a pint of vodka, more or less, with fruit in it. And then his German girlfriend coming out in a, a, a sort of stormtrooper's helmet and saying, you know, uh, do you still want me to wear this? And he says, whatever. Then she does a sort of click of her heels and walks off. And the show ends with Regan recounting the the Jimmy Durante number. You'll be okay. You'll be a star. And then it's like, do, do, do. And it's like, (laughs) what? What did I just watch? But do you need to understand it? Do you need to know? I don't think you are. I mean, you know, the viewing figures suggested that no one cared, you know. Mm. Um... And it's like Messenger of the Gods, I think that's uh, Series 4, Episode 1 of the Sweeney, with Diana Dawes in it. It is absolutely wonderful. But mm. what happens? I mm. don't bloody know. The best bit is when she sits down on the wedding cane- cake, <laughs> Diana Dawes, and she just smacks Regan round the face. 
and the shock on his face is <laughs> brill, absolutely brill. You know, it's strange, isn't it? There, are, there are some old programs like that which I don't even know if I could say I enjoy them, but I love them, and I'm not sure how. To, there's a series called Queenie's Castle with Diana oh, Dawes. Now, Queenie's Castle is the strangest thing. It's apparently a sitcom, but it's got the feeling of really dirty, violent pornography in there. You wouldn't be surprised if one of her many sons was suddenly discovered shagging a whippet or something and while beating it round the head I with a bottle. Said, uh, <laughs> I thought you said one of her sons fancied her or something. Oh, oh there's, there's undercurrents of incest in there as well and, and all these things about uh, about Diana Dawes' tits that her, her sons say. Like, oh no, this isn't nice. And the opening titles... Filmed at the Bull Ring, you know, this massive old housing estate, circular housing estate, but everything's shot in silhouette with these gangster sons posing, looking menacingly at the camera. The opening titles look like, like they were shot by Stanley Kubrick in about 1971. Wow. It's so dark, and the undercurrent of suggested violence is prevalent throughout. It's not a series that has ever made me laugh. It's a series I watch and then I feel like I need to shower after watching it. It's because it just feels like it's left you with a film of grease and tobacco. It's not nice, but I love it. I can't explain that at all. There's nothing to it. It's Willis, it's Waterhouse and um, Keith Hall. Waterhouse and Willis Hall who wrote the script. So there is something about it to love. There yeah. is, obviously. But it's not funny. It's no. It's quite... It's quite, oh no, maybe this is my BBC side coming out, because this is Yorkshire Television in 1971. So, which is another point, because some of the episodes were recorded during the colour strike, so suddenly you even get the ITV colour taken out of it, which is, oh. Right, bleak. how interesting. I've, I, I know you've given, I've got a DVD of it up there that you mm. gave to me, and I've mm. not watched it. I've never watched it. I've not had the time. Not at the time, first of all. And your sort of you, all that you, stuff that you just said to me doesn't really recommend it to me. To be quite no, honest with you, but it should. I mean, you've got to brace yourself mm. for it. It's it's like it's like walking into a pub fight, you know, and knowing that you're likely to leave hurt. Um, but I, I highly recommend it. But I'll be there to support you after you've watched it as well, and Thankfully. and to Thank say no, you. it's okay. It's you are meant to feel like this. It's understandable, Mike. Don't don't worry. Well, Diana but, Dawes reinvents herself in the seventies, doesn't she? It may start before. I mean, she's in uh, the final Mancunian film with Frank Randall. Ah, uh, hmm. it's it's a grand life. She's in that as a sort of comedy relief. And the way she spoke about Frank Randall, she said that she was sent up to Manchester to make this film by rancorous punishment um so she's in the final mancunian film and she she's comedy in that um mm. i don't think she was always comedy wasn't she in a prison drama in, she in... she wasn't well when was the final mancunian when was that that 53 53 right because certainly by 68 she's in a very controversial film uh which stars keith barron and young linda hayden she was young she was 15 um and it's a film called Baby Love, which the title alone these days makes you go, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's about a young girl who's adopted from uh, into a nice middle-class family, having been born to Diana Dawes, who then drinks, and, uh, drinks herself to death, but eventually commits suicide. And so Hayden is adopted into this family. But she's so messed up by Diana Dawes' um, maternal presence that she just sets about destroying this family from within. It's an incredibly dark film. And Dawes in that is not in any way no. the Diana Dawes we think of. She's playing a completely broken woman. It's a fascinating film. Is which she... I think was... Go on. No, go on, sorry. Well, I think it was then... Um, there's a film called Elissa, which is one of my absolute favourite films. It's a French film uh, with uh, Vanessa Paradis and uh, Gérard Depardieu from about 1996, which has a very similar premise, but... Of course, it's it's French, and therefore it looks beautiful. Whereas mm. Baby Love is shot in '68 on film, and it's it's again it's got a it it's got some unsettling undercurrents. One of which is that it has the feel as though it should be a folk horror film. There's enough in it 
in terms of the lighting, the camera work, the performances that makes you feel as though you should be watching a folk horror film, but you're not, which I, mm. I, I find fascinating with it. Absolutely fascinating. I've never but, seen it. I'm, I'm sure she did a prison drama as well in a, a mm. women's prison. But I mean, is is she is she still the sort of young, beautiful, beautiful Diana Dawes there? Or is she sort of got fat? Um. I think she wasn't the young, slim Diana Dawes. I don't yeah. think she was particularly fat, but I think they've padded her out and right. done her makeup so there's certainly nothing of the attractive side. She she looks like the broken, angry, dangerous woman that the, the script required her to be, and she plays it brilliantly. I think that as soon as she gets big, that's when she turns to comedy. Oh, that's when casting directors push her into comedy. I mean... Mm. We neither of us know enough about her career to sort of, you know, substantiate that. But it seems, you know, sort of, because she turns up in the Steptoe and Son film, doesn't she, in 72? Mm. She turns up in that. She's sort of like comic relief in that when Harold goes up to the flat or whatever it is. Yeah, she um, is. But you're right. You do get this turning point when suddenly it's, oh, we've got a sitcom. Well, we've got Queenie's Castle. Do you want to do that? Yeah. And it didn't show. The talent that she had no. off as an actress, she had. A I don't think that she talent. got that particularly a good deal, did she? I mean, it's it's time as well, isn't mm. it? Because she was the British Marilyn Monroe, really, wasn't she? Mm. Uh, so the time she came out, so at the start of it, she was just like this beautiful young woman. Um, so she won't have particularly. Uh, been given challenging stuff for that reason. Then she it sounds like she starts doing interesting stuff in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then it sounds like she got big. And so casting directors are immediately just like, oh, right, well, you're big now, you're funny. You know yes. what I mean? I could be completely Absolutely. wrong with that. But she, mm. it's my knowledge of Diana Dawes, she's, she's comic relief in the Sweeney. She's comic relief in uh, the Steptoe movie. Um, and... My first memory of her really was being on Good Morning Britain doing a diet. Do you know what? Yes. Yes, I remember that. And they used to weigh her. Yeah. Oh, my God. They used to weigh her, didn't they? All the time. Every week or so, they'd weigh her live. And she wouldn't know the results beforehand. No, no, no. And it turned out the poor woman was bloody dying of cancer at the time. And that's why her weight was all... Oh man! Yeah, and then and then I remember Alan Lake on the news at a funeral just f- fucked, and then yes. he shot himself, didn't he? He did, yeah. And yes, yeah, it was this it, cycle of tragedy. Leaving the son, of course, who was only who was only young. Yeah. Um, at the, when when they both died, it really was. It was so tragic. But to what what I think you had then was. And I don't know if it's improved. Was essentially that women were allowed to be the young, beautiful ingenue, or they could be the round, funny comedy foil. But of course, it ignored the fact that in the centre of this, you've got people, real people, fascinating people, and it's still quite rare that you find these parts that are being written for women who are middle aged, unless they are. The, the funny or the psychopath or something like that but the the yeah. true story the reality and i'm sure that we could take this back to shakespeare and the fact that because of women not being allowed on stage therefore parts weren't written that much for women um but it it is still like that unless you are one of the a-listers unless you're a judy dench or a maggie smith yeah. You know, those parts aren't there and they're not going to be written for you. And that, you know, the wheel has turned a little, but it's certainly not turned enough on that one yet. Yeah, it's certainly on the surface, it appears that's the the trajectory her career took. Mm. Um, I'm sure if you do some digging, you'll find that there were a few different turns and twists along the way. But um, yes, it seems like my impression of Diana Dawes is like that of of tragedy, really. Mm. Um, Absolutely, even though... The f- one of the first things I remember is, of course, the Prince Charming video where she hadn't comedy quite learned again. the moves. Yeah, you know? comedy again. Comedy again. And uh, the worm that turned on the two Ronnies. Oh, yes. She's kind Absolutely. of... Where they've set up the headquarters. Isn't the headquarters Barbara Castle? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um So, yes, um, Diana Dawes was a very nice thing. Very um, nice thing. And undervalued again, and lovely. Again, the, the Sleepy Boys have, have produced a, a more reflective version of nice things. We, we promise to to uh, be less reflective next week, like Paul's Window. 
We will be, yes. And I'll hopefully be back in my office. It's going to take me a week to sort these DVDs out. And you know what? I'll probably put them back in the order that they've been in for the last 20 years because I understand it. You need some delineations. You need some dividers. We need to have sections such as, and I can see your sections right now, action, um, thriller. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's there's not a lot of action or thriller. I'll be honest with you, Michael. There's no, not an awful lot of course there. not. I think that um, I think this is going to take some working on. But I agree with you. Yeah, let me have a look up here. I'll tell you, I, I've not got many DVDs left. Uh, hmm. So I've got Doctor Who ones. Yeah. And then we go into uh, the Dalek films, Box of Delights, Ghost Stories for Christmas, uh, the Sherlock Holmes, Jeremy Brett, The Prisoner, hmm. Arvida Zane Peck, comic strip. Hancock, Steptoe, Dad's Army. So I'm, I can see what I'm doing here. I'm doing different genres, and then I'm going through the years. Yeah. So as you can see here, um, I've put Arvidas in as kind of comic drama, and then comic strip, ooh, don't know, I suppose, because it's from ooh. the same vintage. Mm. Then Hancock, then Steptoe, then Dad's Army, uh, then The Plank, um, then Never the Twain. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got bored by this point. Um, <laughs> Rising Damp, Filthy Rich and Cat Flat. It's all over the show, this, Paul. It is, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, uh, the Life, you know, Holy Grail, Jeeves and Worcester, Hancock again. Yeah, I've definitely got bored. Audience with well, Kenneth you know, Williams, Father Ted. Well, I think what I've learned this week, Mike, is that maybe we should just leave things as they are because otherwise you end up with your with your face being burned off, sat on your ass on the bedroom floor whilst there's DVDs all over the place. So I think maybe they just need to go back to how they were because it's evolved. It's evolved yes, over time as I've evolved. Be. That's the way it should be. I think that's I'll just the put them all back. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Um, so uh, mm. I think that uh, we've probably come full circle again. We're back to we your DVD quandaries. Yes, and the realization to just leave them alone in future. Let it, let it be, as <laughs> someone once sang. Someone, yes. <laughs> well, dear listeners and viewers, it's been uh, another fun-packed edition uh, with um, more than a hint of rouge tristesse. Um, and until the next time, have a lovely week and uh, bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> to Modern Living was presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog production. (laughs) 